0: today's scripture comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Amen. Now let's give our full attention to the preaching of God's word. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Thank you to Angela. These three verses are so packed, so precious as we go through this sermon series in the book of Hebrews on this very special Sunday. Uh, it's my joy and privilege to deliver God's word to you this day. Uh, yesterday happened to be the 10th birthday of CCSC. Yes. This church, this body of Christ that's located here at Hope International University, also over in Artesia, right next to CPC, Cerritos Presbyterian Church, officially a church of its own became 10 years old. And of course, it's not lost to me, today's Halloween, so I'm going to talk about a superstition here. Uh, When you get a birthday cake, and if you are able to blow out all the candles... And this gets tougher as you get a little bit older. Supposedly, all your birthday wishes are to come true. The belief is if you can blow out all the candles on your cake, all your wishes should come true. Now, of course, as one of your pastors, I have birthday wishes for this church. Uh, Last week, we celebrated in just a festive, joyful way. Uh, Looking back upon the loving kindness of God for 10 years, today I want to talk about, as we look forward to the next 10 years, I've got birthday wishes for this church. They're deep. Sometimes they boil. Sometimes I'm frustrated and impatient with myself. But today, instead of talking about my own birthday wishes, God himself, who gave birth to this church, birth to anyone who has new life in Jesus Christ, he has birthday wishes of his own. And much more importantly and scripturally, whatever God wishes for his church, they all come true. Whatever God wants, whatever he really so desires of his people, he promises that he will carry it out to its completion. I've got three real quick today, okay? What is number one? And I put this purposefully in this order because I think this is the most significant. Uh, We read it in these verses. It's kind of the refrain through the entirety of the scriptures. They will be my people and I will be their God. What does God want? God wants his people forever. I don't know if you've ever fallen in love. I don't know if you're in love. I don't know if you forgot what love is like. I don't know if you're struggling with love. I don't know if you're waiting and hoping to find the love of your life. But if you are really, really in love, the one thing you want is that it will not come to an end. God just wants to be with his people forever. You don't have to be productive. You don't have to have your best face forward. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be religious. God just wants this. Do you know that this is a foretaste, a picture of eternity? This is what God wants most? I mean, go figure. Of all the things that God could want or get, he wants his people forever, forever. Uh, You might say that the Old Testament, the entirety of it, the 39 books, is a love story of God. The Old Testament is a love story of God, but it's tragic. It's so bitter because it's been one-sided. God has poured out love upon love upon love upon his people, but his people just... Really have not loved them back. We picked up here in one of the earlier verses. I took them by the hand. You know, just loaded with the most affectionate parental imagery. I remember these tiny little warm cute hands of my daughters. And I would be nearly perfectly happy to never let go of these hands. Oh, how those hands have grown. And how they have departed. And how they sometimes say, Daddy, please don't go. I'll come around to my room. But God likens his people to these tiny little hands that he led and loved and raised. He gave birth to, and he himself never wants to let go. You know, just back in mid-September, we were dropping off our oldest daughter. It was moving day in college. My wife's son, he started to pray in the car, and she was overwhelmed with tears, and we were all being so touched by her prayer. Praying for our oldest daughter as she moves into college. And then all of a sudden, midway through the prayer, she starts praying, and Lord, please have mercy on our marriage now. I, I wanted to crash. I mean, Taylor was right there. She heard that prayer. <clears throat> She's old and smart enough to figure out now, wow, mommy and dad's marriage is uh, maybe not that good. And I was right there. And you know, we got to work on this. We got to work on this, sonny. At least work on that. You don't publicly pray this. God gave birth, loved his people, but we just don't love him back. That's a fact. I mean, even as we marched through the worship service for about half an hour right here, I wonder how many of us really felt anything. Most of you might have felt, well, what a, what a downer. It's kind of a drag. I wonder when this is going to be over. That right there is just a reflection of how little love we have. In the entire Old Testament, the dominant repeated charge against the people of God is this. God has loved you and led you and taken you up by the hand. He's even delivered you from the kingdom of Egypt, from slavery and misery. But the charge is you continue to commit adultery well, that is actually the charge, that is the imagery uh, there's an entire prophetic book by the name of Hosea who God calls to you must go marry a prostitute I'm sorry if that's too vivid but it's right here in the scriptures Hosea I want you to go marry a prostitute because before you speak and preach my word I actually want you to feel and experience my heartbreak Jose, I want you to know what it's like to have someone you love cheat on you, cheat on you. Not, not not once. No, not, not twice. No, it's not like you found out on the phone or you tracked him one day and you found out the third or fourth time. We're talking brazen, public, unrelenting. It's almost like boastful. Their track record is awful. Verse 8, it says, God finds fault with them. He finds fault with his people. Verse 9, he says, because they did not continue in his covenant. And then we get to the end of verse 9, it says, and God showed no concern for them. Now, that might be shocking to your ears. God reached the point where he, sounds like he gave up. Like he was so done, like he was disgusted. Yeah. That's exactly what that verse is trying to say. We, we drove God to the point where he was so humiliated, so betrayed, so exhausted, so tapped out. That he reached the point of, I don't know if I can go on with this. All the more shocking then is verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. After all those fault-ridden days. After all those heartbreaking days. After all the failing, all the sinning, all the betrayal. Declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. Write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Oh, the torrential love of God. It just keeps coming after you, keeps coming after you. It resurrects literally as if it were dead, but it rises again. And I, as your pastor, have no explanation why God does this. Why this is all the more shocking after verse 9. God loves because He is love, it's rooted in His nature. It's not reactive to ours. And a new covenant relationship, a whole new kind of relationship that God wants to bring, is as if he's trying to get remarried. He wants to take the vows again. Oh, no, 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 once again, it's not like we did anything right. It's not like we were beautiful. It's not like we were great. It's not like we were successful. It's not like we were loyal. It's not like we were even moral. God gets up and says, I'm going to take marriage vows again. And in this new covenant relationship that I'm going to make, I'm actually going to do both parts. It's been a one-way street, but I'm going to do something to make love a two-way street. A covenantal relationship. You know, that's lingo for the most exclusive, the most enjoyable And once again, everlasting relationship. Now, who here in this room doesn't want that? Human marriage comes closest, but of course it is so flawed and broken. Human marriage, that is a covenant. A covenant is the most exclusive. I will forever into the future be true and faithful to you, you alone. The most enjoyable, mutually life-giving. We laugh and love that we're together. And everlasting, everlasting. Uh, The late, great Martin Lloyd-Jones, preacher at Westminster Chapel and author, in a collection of sermons, he says, Christianity is something that takes you up. It is not something you can take up. What does he mean by that? It means if you can take up Christian things, dabble with it, play around with it on certain days... Maybe in particular on Sundays or in particular seasons of your life when you're just really desperate, like God's got to bail you out of something, but then you can just put it back down. You see, for some of you, Christianity is something you can pick up and then you just leave it alone. That's not the real thing. It can't be the real thing. You don't have the real thing. Christianity is something that picks you up, never lets you go. You see, I've quit a lot of things. You're looking at a quitter. I am. I've quit the violin. I've quit the most funny, delicate instrument called the oboe. God have mercy on my parents. They thought I could learn that, broke that reed. I don't know how many times I wanted to break the instrument. I've quit piano, bragged about my cousin, my aunt, just an incredible pianist. I was no hope, no hope. I've quit contact physical sports now. I don't want to get near it. Don't come near me. I might get hurt. I've quit late night runs trying to get healthier. Stop Taco Bell, Harold. Stop going there at midnight. I know you want it, but just stop it. Now I don't crave it as much. Thank God. I've quit so many things. But God just will not quit on me. The love of God will not quit on me. Here's birthday wish number one from God. He will never, ever let go of his people, his church. His love is forever. Because he wants to have you forever. Without end. Here's a second wish. God wants his people together. Together. People is plural, not singular. He wants a church, not individual Christians. Why does God want his people Together because to be loved on and to love in return is exactly what God is about. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God Himself has never been isolated or solo? Did you know that the origin of all community, society, love, and belonging, and being beloved and loving in return? Originates and consummates with God Himself, and so this is why God wants His people together because He wants you to so enjoy what He enjoys. There's nothing higher or better, there's nothing more human like, there's nothing more God like than for His people to be together. I, staff and leaders, starting with myself, we're still buzzing, we're still like on a high from last week, celebrating our anniversary. Seeing all the people gathering together, and so much greater and greater to see more of you today and still those of you who are joining online, welcome. But what a beautiful sight. Now, I am not saying this to say, oh, it's so great that we're together again so we can go back before the pandemic. Let's return to normalcy. By the way, I don't think that's ever coming, whatever you mean by normalcy, again. I don't long with nostalgia for us to go pre-pandemic and see large crowds all gathered together again, as good as that may be. No, this is to launch us forward to be a stronger, healthier, godlike people as we gather together. You know, Mark Sayers, a brilliant, insightful commentator on culture and on the church, he made this Observation on a podcast I heard. He said, the global pandemic is cutting off the fat of cultural Christianity. I think he's spot on. He's saying the pandemic has driven and forced people who were kind of one foot in, one foot out. It's kind of reset. And it's resetting the church with people who want to be there now because God wants you there. You know what church is? You know what CCSE is for? It's for a needy, weak people like myself, who need to be loved on. You know, I suppose people who say I don't need the church—it's just so broken and hypocritical, yada yada yada—but I just don't go to church. I don't need the church. I'm fine with God. Well, they must be a lot stronger than me that they never need to be loved on on a regular basis but the church is not just a community of people where you are beloved but it's a people who feel down to their hearts there's so much more love to give like i need much more love to give don't you who here in this room doesn't feel like you need a lot more love to give in today's culture, in all the crises, in all the inequalities, in all the divisiveness and the rage, beginning with our spouses and children maybe at home? First John chapter 4, verse 19 reads, We love because God first loved us. And do you know how this happens? Where we are so beloved... And then we in turn have so much more love to give. It happens when his people are together. That's what we're going to watch in about 10, 15 minutes. Ordination of three men set apart for the office of mercy and good works and practical helps. These three deacons, why are they doing what they're doing? God has somehow moved and filled their hearts with a lot more love to give. And when you see people laying on their hands in prayer upon them. That is a sign and a visual and God's promise by his spirit to so overwhelm and fill this dear brother, his son, our fellow servant, with the love of God, that it would come bursting forth. I will never forget my day of ordination to this day. You know, last Sunday, I was telling our guest speaker Pastor Joel, hey, what are you doing? You need to get up there and give the benediction. And of course, by sheer surprise, one of our elders came up here and started expressing on your behalf appreciation for pastors. And of course, you know, I was just losing it over here. Now, these are your pastors. Do we not know that God loves us? Do we not know that God approves of us? Not based on our performance, but the performance of Jesus. Do we not doctrinally, intellectually, theologically, mentally, know that our church also prays for us and appreciates us, and has shown nothing really but nothing but humility and support and concern and grace? The answer to that question is yes or no. Yes, we knew that. Of course, we know that. Of course, I know that. I I know God loves me. I know the church appreciates me. But in a whole other dimension, it says, no, we really didn't know that. We don't know that. And we all need to be reminded and reassured of that. That happens best when his people are together. In fact, it only happens... As I can recall, all spiritual anointing filling moments in my life, almost all of them happen when his people are together. This is why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it reads, which we will get to in the coming weeks, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We all need to be stirred, like provoked, pushed. Sometimes kicked a little. Reminded, encouraged. People need to be breathed into so that they would take some initiative. People need to be inspired. They need some examples and models. People need to be moved to what? Love and good good works. This verse would not be here if we were all naturally prone to love and good works. What does God want? What does God want most? He wants his people forever. And he wants his people together. Last one, last one. God wants all his people. He longs for all his people forever and together. How? How is that going to happen? When God came down and launched the first church, you would call it a church plan in Acts chapter 2. And he came down in the power and the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Go read it, the first four verses. It came like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then tongues of fire appeared on each believer while they were worshiping. What erupted as a result of God's first church? When he landed, touched down in the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Here's the first result. Worship. Spirit-filled worship. Not a casual Not an empty, not a routine, not a dull, not a boring, not a lifeless, not late. Spirit-filled worship. Now, hear me clear on this one. How is it that God's people who already are beloved by Jesus and want to love Jesus back, how do they best reach and attract all his peoples from around the world? It may not be what you think. It actually starts with worship. Spirit-filled worship when we're all together because this is exactly what God did at the first church Worship erupts not a class not a seminar Not even evangelism go tell everybody about the gospel Not even community outreach or service not a rally not a campaign not a building project or a business plan Not management or marketing What happens first? When the Spirit of God touches down, what happens in your life? This is the mark. You are caught up to worship. Although so many people around us, friends and foes, consumers, cynics, influencers, political leaders, contemporary voices may accuse and ask the church, you know, you're just not doing it for me these days. Uh, When I look at your church, you just don't check off these boxes. And of course, there are a lot of boxes. There's a lot of boxes. And not only do you have to check them all off, you better do it in time or else they're just going to cancel and cast you off. Or they're just going to leave. Can I reassure you and encourage you, my friend, when the spirit of God comes down, before you are tempted to like virtue signal or overcompensate or check off all those boxes, as legitimate as they may be, What comes first? Nothing else but the worship of God. And the kind of worship, get this, that God always wanted from his people is the kind that wins all his people. Spirit-filled worship is a world-winning worship. It's not just for Israel and Judah. Even back in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it tells us God wants and longs for all of his people from every tongue, tribe, and nation To be gathered in worship. And this is why at the first church's worship service, people were so spirit-filled that they miraculously were able to speak of the marvelous acts of God. In other words, tell the gospel in different actual languages. Go read it again in Acts chapter 2. So people from all these various tongues, tribes, and nations, it said they were bewildered. At first they thought these people must be drunk. There's some similarities with Holy Spirit-filled people, with drunk people, I suppose. They must be drunk, but then they're bewildered because drunk people can't speak languages they never learned. And so all the foreigners in the crowd were so attracted not only by people worshiping, it's that they worshiped in languages they could understand. God made the first church's worship Spirit-filled and cosmopolitan from the start. You see, in Islam, you cannot understand or read the Quran unless it's in Arabic. As soon as you translate it into another language, it is an interpretation, ceases to be the word of God. If you are a sincere, devout Muslim, you must take upon a... Arabic name you must learn the language and culture Arabic you must travel to Mecca whereas christianity burst that first church burst how did it how did it start spirit filled worship that's world winning god did not insist all the people to adjust and learn one language one culture no he made his people enabled and gifted them to reach all peoples at once now, certainly I'm not talking about one local church can do all this. No, this is the capital C, the church universal. We do this all together. But the first church's launch is a good sign of what God wants from his people, the church. He wants all his peoples. God makes his word. God makes the worship of himself understandable. That's what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Now, of course, so many implications of this. You know what And I'll say it again to our leaders and staff, but to all of you. See, 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 one of our core value commitments at this church is this. You cannot, you should not speak in code, neither on Sunday or at a small group or any gathering. People should not have to have a dictionary to figure out what you're talking about. Don't speak Christianese. Don't couch it with jargon. Unnecessary filler talk. We ought to be as translatable and understandable as possible. Why? Because God does this. God does this. Spirit-filled worship is how God wins all his people because it's understandable. Second feature, last thing. Spirit-filled worship is attractive to the world because it's also inexplicably beautiful. If you're following along, I know it doesn't make much sense. I don't make much sense. Harold, you said understandable. Now you're saying inexplicably beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I can find... That's what spirit-filled worship looks and feels like. Transcendently beautiful. Beyond the rationale. Beyond the mind. Experientially beautiful. You know, Anne Lamott, in her book, Traveling Mercies, a Northern Cal author, talks about how she came to Christian faith one day. She was coming out of these lonely, all-nighter, binging, cocaine, despair, self-destruction. And she came across this small ramshackle church in Marin County. Didn't look like much from the outside, but she got near the doorway, and from it emerged the most glorious noise, she says. Anne had always been hostile to Christianity. She could not bear to sit down and listen to a sermon. But it was the singing, the beauty of the singing that drew her in. And one day she returned to that church and sat down. And here's how she describes how it went The singing was furry and resonant, coming from everyone's very heart. There was no sense of performance or judgment, only that the music was breath and food. Something inside me that was stiff and rotting would feel soft and tender. Somehow the singing wore down all the boundaries and distinctions that kept me so isolated. Sitting there, standing with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick that I felt like I might tip over. I felt bigger than myself, like I was being taken care of, tricked into coming back to life. My friends, do you know why God wants you to worship? And by the way, first and foremost... The worship of God is the result of His Spirit's filling. That is our first and number one commanded duty in life. But why does the Holy Spirit come down and make you worship understandably? Why does God want us to worship in ways that are comprehensible, translatable, and at the same time, to sing from the heart without performance or judgment, sincerely? Loudly, fervently, skillfully. Thank God, just like Anne Lamott, I can't sing. But thank God at church, I feel so free and confident to sing because I just get caught up in a chorus. Why is it that God would also ask us to sing along with speaking understandably? Because God still has a heartache. He doesn't just want the pleasure and the glory of his people right now. He wants and longs for all, all his people to be gathered together forever in worship. And in the worship of God by his people, hopefully friends and family and foes get to hear and understand this. God issues a new covenantal relationship with you. He's going to get remarried. He wants to start all over with you. Not by argument, not by force, not by military might, not by threat, not manipulatively, not arrogantly, not even easily or comfortably for himself, but most sacrificially. Because there are references, there are just splotches of blood all over this book. You cannot read Hebrews without repetitive, constant, going back to blood, 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 blood. Blood. There's like blood everywhere. And do you know why there's so much blood there? Because all the blood in the world could never make a new relationship with God except for one. Only one kind of blood. Only one blood that was shed by the Son of God, whose name is Jesus Christ. And it reads in chapter 9, verse 14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. My friends, there is one potent, precious, permanent cleansing blood. Only one. No other bloodletting or bloodshedding can work to cleanse your conscience, heal your heart, wipe away your awful track record. Make you acceptable enough before a living holy God who made you and has led you by his hands. There's no other blood that will work. Not the blood of all the animals in the world. Not even the blood of all the holy priests. All the priests combined who continue to do sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Not even the blood of angels. Angels. If they were to come and die for you, their blood would not be enough to cover over all the filth of my sin. No, only the blood of Jesus shed for you, poured out for you is how God invites you into a whole new kind of relationship with himself. Where love finally becomes a two-way street. Where love becomes a two-way street. If and when you see and trust and ask and receive... The blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. If and when you finally admit, no matter how good or religious or devoted or moral or socially conscious and active you are, that this is not fitting enough. This this is not enough. It's never going to be enough before a God that we have actually despised from the heart. It's as if God takes the blood of Jesus Christ and then he writes his laws, puts himself, and captures our hearts and minds. This is what God wants. This is what God wants most. He wants you. He wants his people forever. He wants people together. And he still wants all his people. All his people. For whom Jesus bled and died. And unlike all our superstitions about birthdays, this will come true. It will come to pass. Because all through this passage, all we read is God saying, I will, I took, I will make, I will put, I will be their God. And upon that, we can bank our lives. This God, my God, I hope and pray, is your God. And you are his people through the blood of Jesus. Will make you broken and bold, humbled and hopeful, resting and hardworking. So beloved, so beloved. So beloved off the charts. Do you have so much more love to give? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for your spirit and for Jesus who shed his blood. Lord, as you take CCSE by the hand and lead her forward, we thank you that your birthday wishes all come true. And may we, oh Lord, conform, change, love you back and love the world, and love all your people who would gather in worship. Lord, use this, we pray. Use it for your glory, your pleasure, and for our great, great satisfaction and enjoyment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.